0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 19. If you're visiting with us this morning, if you're first time maybe, I just want to welcome you in the Lord. Encourage all of us again to get, uh, just reach out your hand and uh, get to know each other this morning as it's a, one, it's a simple way for us to love each other well. And this morning we're going to be seeing that holiness Looks like loving each other. Leviticus chapter 19 is, we're moving into the heart of the holiness code of the book of Leviticus, as God explains what um, his requirement that Israel be a holy people, and then what holiness looks like. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, Leviticus chapter 19, and we'll read the entire chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them... "'You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. "'Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, "'and you shall keep my Sabbaths. "'I am the Lord your God. "'Do not turn to idols or make for yourself "'any gods of cast metal. "'I am the Lord your God. "'When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, "'you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. "'It shall be eaten the same day you offer it "'or on the day after.' And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the the name of of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord you shall do no injustice in court you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor I am the Lord you shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two different kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two, different, two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man, And not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed. And he shall be forgiven for the sin he has committed." When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall not stand up before the gray head... You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Oh, great God of highest heaven, we, Lord, we come to you. Now we ask that your spirit would give us a hunger for your truth, your word, your, your ways. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear our Lord Jesus speaking to us this morning, calling us to follow after him. And we pray, Lord, you would bless this word by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are um, this morning moving into, as I said, the heart of the holiness code. So we're going to be talking about holiness. Um, Holiness might not seem like a very uh, exciting topic to you, it might seem kind of heavy, it might seem uh, restrictive. Uh, unappealing, uh, sounds like religious duty. Um, but uh, the text here calls us not just to sort of a general idea of, uh, or a discussion of the idea of holiness in a generic way, but uh, very specifically, are you a holy person? Are you a holy person? And how would you know if you were a holy person? What does holiness look like? Well, how, does it, how does it act? What's it, what does it do in real life uh, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, over the centuries has had a very simple uh, answer to that question. If the holy life looks like uh, joining the, the, uh, the clergy or the, or the monkery, you go to, you go to a monastery, you, uh, you take on uh, the vows of poverty and vows of, of celibacy. And you devote yourself to reading scripture and 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 praying and uh, and doing acts of charity. That's what you just, you just devote yourself to that life. You leave sort of the normal world and you enter into the cloistered world of the monastery. A fundamentalist have had a different answer to the question, what does holiness look like? Holiness looks like not being worldly, not participating in worldly entertainments. You don't drink alcohol, you don't dance, you don't smoke, you wear um, very modest clothes and that's what holiness looks like well in, it's, a, it's a very important question because God requires that we be holy it's not a suggestion uh, it, these aren't tips for how to just live a happier healthier life it's a requirement there is a, there is a holiness the, the New Testament says without which no one will see the Lord do you want to see the Lord I want to see the Lord Holiness is a crucial part of seeing the Lord. So it really matters. What is it? So, if I ask you this morning, what does holiness look like in your life? Are you a holy person? What does it look like? Well, Leviticus, chapter, Leviticus 19 gives us the answer. It looks like a deep reverence for God that is expressed in a genuine love for others. Holiness looks like a deep reverence for God. That is expressed in a genuine love for neighbors and in very mundane ways. It looks like obeying your parents, caring for the poor, being honest in your business, respecting the elderly. That's what holiness, (coughs) that's what it looks like. And so this morning, um, I'm going to look at these two basic ideas. Holiness looks like a deep reverence for God and then expressed in a genuine love for one's neighbor that means that we're not going to be able to really dig into verses i'm going to touch on some of them but verses 19 and following and you'll have some questions there like how come um you you can't let cattle breed with different kinds or sow your field with different kinds of seed or wear garments of cloth made with two kinds of material and and what's this business about if, you, if a man lies sexually with a woman who's a slave then the rules change Uh, There are wonderful commentaries written, and I encourage you to go dig into them. um, You'll find, for instance, the the mixing of things. Holiness is, is the purity of things. And so um, Israel is to ex- express their cognizance that they are separate unto God. They're not to mix with the world. In all these, these are just little reminders in their day-to-day life. You don't do that, why? Because they're separate to God. Again, this part of the ceremonial um, reality of that Israel lives under in the Old Testament. We don't find these uh, these commands in the New Testament. Uh, so if you got polyester or whatever, some sort of mixed ten percent, this that, you know, that's fine. Uh, but again, there are commentaries that, that can help you work through that. <clears throat> I want to stick with the basic, simple things today. The first thing uh, that, that uh, we just really need to get our hands on is uh, the idea that holiness begins with a deep reverence for God. If holiness is just about going into the monastery, you don't really need a reverence for God for that. If it's just about what you put in your mouth or what you put in your body, you don't need a deep reverence for God. You just do the, you do the deed whatever it is but that's not biblical holiness biblical holiness starts with God and so the text begins the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy God makes a direct connection between his character and the character of his people the reality of their God and his holy character that is the irreplaceable foundation for all true holiness. And so the commands that we have in this chapter are organized by this reoccurring refrain, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. Notice it showed up over and over. Verse 3, everyone shall revere his father and mother and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Don't turn to idols, verse 4, or make for yourself any god of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over the command and then the refrain. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Sixteen times in this chapter. Why does God keep saying the same thing? The answer is because the only way that Israel is going to be able to live a life that is actually pleasing to the Lord is if they live a life that is deeply cognizant of the Lord. You can't do holiness without a deep recognition of the reality of God and a reverence for God we live as normal people made in the image of God in the world that God has placed us in we live with countless moral decisions uh, that we make throughout our life but we make many many moral decisions every single day from the from the time you get out of bed in the morning until the time that you climb back in you've got decisions to make moral decisions Shall I spend time in God's Word and prayer this morning, or should I just waste some time checking up sports scores or looking uh, on uh, the Internet, you know, just dive into my Facebook? That's a, that's a choice. Now, I'm not saying looking at Facebook is a sin. I think some good arguments can be made for it, but we I, I won't go there this morning. <laughs> I'm just saying you've got a choice to make, and, and it has moral ramifications. Will I respond in anger to an unkind comment by my spouse, or... Will I cover it with grace and love? Got to make a decision. Will I give in to the temptation to look at sinful material online or, or, or to, uh, to say a word of gossip or slander um, to a friend? Or will I turn to Christ in faith and obedience? And you're making these decisions all day. Boys and girls, you're doing the same thing. You, shall you, you know, every day, boys and girls, you're facing the question, shall I honor my mom and my dad? Not, not just in my actions, but in my attitudes. Shall I be kind to the unpopular kid? Shall I uh, obey my teacher? Shall I work hard at my homework? Shall I play fair with my friends? I mean, it's not even lunchtime and you've made dozens of moral decisions. And the problem is, you see, the problem is we are hardwired to make the wrong decision every time. Our fallen disposition is to choose the wrong path. So our native desire is to serve ourselves, to disobey authority, to take advantage of other people, to exalt ourselves and, and put other people down. That's nobody teaches you how to do that. And so the only possible way that we're going to be able to actually make progress in a life that's pleasing to to God, the only way you're going to be able to do things that you don't natively and naturally want to do is if you are aware of the reality of God. There's just not a different way. God wants His people to live day by day with this one overriding sense of the reality of God, the presence of God, the character of God, to, to live... With this overriding sense of the truth that that God loves me, God has claimed me, I belong to Him. He knows me, He cares for me, He sees me, and I'm going to answer to Him. I'm going to answer to Him, uh, boys and girls, teenagers. You know, one of the, one of the things that will break—it's hard to obey your parents, particularly when your parents. It's astonishing how little they know, Uh, right, as you're 13, 14, 15, isn't it, it, it's frustrating. You'll realize, of course, that they get much smarter as you get older, but it's very frustrating. But, 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 But teenagers, I just want to appeal to you, as we're going to see, however you respond to your parents, we could just label it you know, right or wrong, let's just go a little deeper. However you respond to your parents, you will answer to God for that. That changes the discussion. You see, knowing God involves something that the Bible calls fear. You see it in our text twice, verse 14, and then again, I don't have it written down, but it is in verse 32. <clears throat> involves fear. That means a, a reverence for God a, um, an awe of God, a love for God, and some fear. Good old-fashioned English fear. So when God says in verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. <clears throat> Apparently, it was a, a common thing for people to make fun of the disabled. So if there was a deaf person, you could smile at them and you could cuss them or or you could you could um, you could walk by and and and, and curse them and, and then laugh about it because of course they can't hear you. You could say anything you want to them. They can't hear you. And if there's a blind person, you can put a little something in their way and then and then laugh as that as that blind person stumbles over what you put in your way. It is it's great fun. And who, they don't know who did it. They can't see. And God says, You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. I hear and I see. And you will answer to me. That's what he says. Well, that changes things. God expects His people to live with a certain reverent fear of God. Isaiah 8, verse 12, 13. Do not call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy. That's a good word for today. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So stop being afraid of everything the world's afraid of. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy... Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. You want to fear something, God says? Here's something to fear. Your holy God. I was having um, breakfast with a friend this week, and he was uh, telling me about a conversation he's having with one of his friends, a man who professes to be a Christian, and, uh, and has decided that homosexuality is no big deal. And, of course, that's happening more and more in our age and uh, my friend said I gave him a copy of Kevin Young's book uh, what the Bible actually teaches or really teaches about homosexuality I think it's the best book on the topic but then my, my friend said something that's very profound and true he said I think I should be giving this guy uh, or the book that I should give this guy is Terry Johnson's book on the attributes of God you see I think that's, that's very true Without a deep cognizance of the presence and the character of God, without a reverent fear of God as God, every debate about what constitutes appropriate moral behavior is just a debate, and people will feel free to disagree with you, and they'll feel free to disagree with Scripture. They'll, they'll have some question, well, does it really mean that? Or if you look at the Hebrew or you look at the Greek, it actually suggests maybe it means that, and, 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 the, and the conversation just goes round and round. But when God appears, when God is seen and known as awesome and terrifying and infinitely good and, and unspeakably precious, and I owe Him my life, you see that changes the conversation. When God is small in people's minds, they chip away at His word with these with these. Uh, questions. Does it really say that? Does God really care about that? I mean, come on. In, in the world that we live in, with all that's going on in this world, God, does he really care about who do you go to bed with? Is he really concerned about my, you know, your, your anger, my anger, my, my pride, my lust? Is it, is it really that big a deal? You see, those are the questions that even if they're not asked, that's what's on the table. But when God is, you see, when God is feared, when God is reverenced, you don't come to His word that way. You don't approach life that way. You don't ask those kinds of questions. Did He really say? You don't ask it. You tremble at His word, right? God says, "I live in a high and a holy place, but also with Him who is contrite, humble, and trembles at my word. And so the question to ask to, to your friend maybe who's, who's asking all these, these flippant questions about the Bible is why don't you tremble at God? Don't you, don't you know God? Don't you have any fear of God? And of course, the same question to ask ourselves. Why do we dismiss our sins so tritely? You know, we call it our personality. God doesn't call it your personality. He calls it your wickedness. You see, we'll never take sin seriously. We'll never take obedience seriously. We won't even take the Bible seriously until we take God seriously. Holiness begins with a day-to-day cognizance of the reality of the presence and the character of God. And so, one of the very best prayers you can be praying for yourself and for your family, for your loved ones, is God, show me your glory. Help me to see the truth about who you are and what you are like, and give me the grace to tremble. That's where holiness begins. What does it look like lived out? Well, in verses 3 and following, so 3 through 10, we have a series of religious duties. I'm not going to take a lot of time here. Just notice, uh, keep the Sabbath. Don't turn to idols. The the, the Hebrew here means these empty nothing things. That's what idols are. Uh, There's rules about peace offering, verses 5 through 8. Notice the first command, revere your mother and your father. Notice, boys and girls, it says mom first. It matters. Revere mom and dad. But you might think, well, what, what is this doing in a list of religious duties? And the answer is that your, um, your respect for mom and dad and lack of it is sort of the first thing on the table when we're talking about, what do you think about God? Because you see, the, the, the issue here is the issue of authority. God has instituted His authority in this world by means. And the first Officials that God has given authority to are parents. That's the, that's the most basic level of authority. And so, um, your response to parental authority, boys and girls, is the, is the first and key indicator of your response to God's authority. The first evidence of our rebellious hearts is our rebellion against our parents. The first evidence of our submission to God is submission to our parents. Not because they're always right. They're not always right. But because God himself has established his authority over your life through them. So any talk you see about holiness is just happy talk until we embrace and receive God's authority over us. And so he starts with, revere your father and your mother. Keep my Here just We have very, very tangible things about, is, does God get the right to make the rules? Holiness begins with submission, but it moves into the concern for others. Verses 9 through 18, holiness and the welfare of others. And so we're given a series of commands here that have to do with how we treat our neighbor. A holiness is just, how do you you, you treat other people? Notice the the variety of things that God raises. Verses 9 through 10, he talks about generosity. Uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, or when you're you're, you're getting the grapes, you don't, you don't you don't just take the whole field. You you leave the edges, and you don't get the gleanings. The gleanings would be the parts that got missed while you were uh, busy harvesting the field. You don't send the 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 guys back out after it's all done and say, okay, now pick up every last you know scrap of weed out there. You don't do that. You intentionally waste some weed, and you leave some corn standing on the edge of the field, and you do that on purpose because God. Commanded you to do it. Because you see, there are poor people in the land, people who don't own land, and people who can't provide for themselves. And uh, whatever you might think about the, the, the reasons or the causes behind their poverty, God hasn't asked you to share your opinion on that. What He's asked you to do is share your food with them. So, God commands it. Create a margin. Right, The practical application is not that hard Here is that God expects us, people who have been blessed greatly, to intentionally create a margin in our life so that we have, we have um, excess to give to other people. So Paul will say, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work with his hands so he can make a lot of money. It's not what it says. Let him work with his hands so that he is able to give to the poor. That's how God thinks about economics. That's how God thinks about... Now, there's nothing wrong with creating wealth. God gives the ability to create wealth. It's just that there should be margins, intentional margins in our life where we bless less fortunate people, where we bless people who are are poor, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. One of the things that strikes me uh, more and more is the, is the, the, the... How our culture fights against this. Our culture is begging you to get into debt. Debt removes margins. You don't have margins because you got to you got to pay the bills, and so we got to resist the the the, the constant press of our culture to just to consume. And you can get low monthly payments, and it's going to be great. You can have it now, pay it off later. Well, you can do that. You you just can't do that and do this, right? If if you have no margin in your life. In your finances now again you can maybe you're the poor you, you got to deal with that before the Lord most of us have the capacity for some margins that we leave and we intentionally share with others I, I, I you think about the world we live in and the things that we know today and the people that are suffering our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world in Syria and Ethiopia in the Libya Nigeria um, Afghanistan I, I, I mean The need is incredible. And I think it would be wonderful for us to prayerfully think about how could we engage the needs of our international brothers and sisters. But there's needs right in front of us. We have young couples struggling to pay their Christian school tuition. Single parents who are struggling to make ends meet. Where are you intentionally allocating financial resources to share with people in need? Holiness, friends, looks like intentional generosity. See, it's not rocket science. It just looks like intentional generosity. Happy, glad, leaving the margins, leaving the gleanings, blessing those in need with the blessings God's given to us. Holiness, secondly, looks like honesty. Verse 11 through 12. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. God takes lying very seriously. There are six things, even seven, the Lord hates. And a lying tongue is right there in the list. He hates lies because, of course, he's the God of truth. Honesty is a pretty simple concept. Boys and girls, honesty means you tell the truth. Big boys and girls, honesty means you live in the truth, right? In your speech and in your actions and in your business dealings. You, um, you, 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 are, you have integrity, in your life and in your relationships. There's, there's a very practical illustration of this, verses 35 and 36. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You don't cheat. You don't take what isn't yours. We, uh, Joanne and I had an interesting experience uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, we were coming around the bend here on Clyde Park and um, from Gazan Parkway, and right in front of the the hotel there, um, we're driving by and notice what looked like Monopoly Bunny along the side of the road. And so um, we, uh, honey, stop. So we stop and we get out. And there's hundred dollar bills laying everywhere. Nice, brand crisp, beautiful hundred dollar bills. Three thousand four hundred dollars worth of of, of uh, and and a wallet was was there. Some some nineteen year old kid from Miami, Florida. Uh, I'm like, what is this kid doing with $1,900 with $3,400 in his pocket? So we started thinking about, which cruise line do you think we should go on? <laughs> uh, that was very short. <laughs> and then uh, we called the police. And so the police come over, and, um, and, and we give them the money. And the guy just says, um, most people wouldn't have done this. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I, I have to. <clears throat> but I said, it doesn't belong to me. I mean, that's ultimately, it's not my money. Um, Isn't it a sad commentary in our society that most people would would not just care about that? Uh, Isn't that sad commentary about our own hearts? Holiness looks like honesty. And, um, and, And honesty in what we say, it's keeping our word. A friend rebuked me a while back for saying yes and then just failing to do it. Well, that's, that's not integrity. Uh, we need to be honest through and through our whole life to live in integrity and, and to live in integrity um, with how we treat people specifically and what we say to them and, and, and how we engage them, how we do our business. Integrity. God sees. You see, I am the Lord your God. He knows how you're doing your business. He knows how you're paying your workers. He, he knows what you're doing with the IRS. He knows all of it. That's what holiness looks like. Good question to ask is where am I falling short in my life of holy honesty? Justice. Justice uh, both economically and in the courts. I'll keep moving along here. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him, verse 13. The wages of a hard worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Uh, Oppression and robbery uh, refer to taking what doesn't belong to you. It belongs to other people. And so this wage earner, these would be people who work literally day by day and they get paid every day their denarius. And, uh, and they're dependent upon it. And so the man goes to work for you that day. You don't say, well, come back tomorrow morning, I'll pay you. No, no, no. It's his money. He earned it. You owe it to him. You give it to him. It belongs to him. Now, justice matters. Justice is an issue, of course, that we are in the, na- in, uh, in the nation, in the church. There's, a, there's a, a huge controversy going on about what is called social justice, And I just want to say a couple things very quickly. First of all, in our concern about unbiblical categories that are out there in what is now called social justice, uh, and if you want a great book on this, Thaddeus Williams' book, uh, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, I think is, is the best thing I've seen. It's just fantastic. Thaddeus Williams, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And one of the points he makes in there is that the only reason we should care about unbiblical categories is because we really care about justice. God doesn't recommend we do justice. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? We we need to be people who are shining like bright stars in the universe because of our concern for justice. And that is uh, giving to people what is their due, giving to God what is His due. And that's going to be evident, for instance, in the courtroom, uh, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Uh, That's a verse that that goes into direct conflict uh, with with the social justice um, discussion in our culture today. God... in those days, you don't, there's no official legal system. In those days, you have the elders of the tribe who sit and adjudicate cases. These would be people you know, and they, they very might they might they will know they'll know you or they'll know your family. Um, it would be very tempting for these men to either be partial to their rich uncle, or to or, or be partial to their poor relative, their poor cousin. So you can only imagine how tempting that would be, but God will have none of it. He says, no, you don't show um, partiality to the poor or to the great. You do justice. Before God, you do righteousness. So people will say, well, God always takes the side of the poor. Well, no, God always takes the side of justice first, and God also has a great compassion for the poor. But he takes the side of justice in, in matters of, of justice, in matters of court. That's what the scripture tells us. Um, and this, this doing justice, again, I think this is a huge area of, of where we can be more thoughtful and discerning. But let's begin with the very practical, do, do justice. One, one practical application of this, verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Slander is an act of violence. Notice it's put in that context. Don't stand up against the life of your neighbor. Slander is murdering someone's reputation. That is, that's injustice. And you don't get to say, yeah, but, right, I have reasons. Slander is slander, and God says, you shall not do it. I am the Lord. You don't do it. It's injustice. Holiness looks like integrity, then not only in your words and your actions, but also in your attitude. And just briefly notice, you don't even get to uh, have a grudge against your brother in your heart. It's not integrity. If you've got a problem with your brother, what does God say to do about it? Well, there's a couple things you can do. You can cover it with love, or you can go talk to your brother. The text here says, go speak frankly to your brother. That's Matthew 18. You don't get to be... Uh, cold in your heart. Smile with your face. Hi, how are you? Good to see you, man. It's just great. Yeah, good. And then you get in the car and say, I cannot believe that person. It... That's not integrity. God knows, God sees, God's the Lord. See, friends, holiness looks like loving your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what holiness looks like. That's a text Jesus repeats over and over in the Gospels. We find it in the book of Romans, Galatians, James. It is the essence of the Christian ethic. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Holiness looks like love. Generous love, honest love, just love, but fundamentally love for people. So how do we grow in that, and we'll wrap up? How do you do that? Of course, the only way you can grow in holiness is by the power of God in your life. And so, and so we, we read in the New Testament how God is sanctifying us by, through Jesus Christ. How Jesus, first of all, is our holiness, isn't he? He's our righteousness, holiness, and redemption Jesus, uh, when you come to Christ confessing your sin and all the ways that you've offended a holy God by your sin, and you come to Jesus Christ confessing your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and to robe you in his beautiful righteousness. Jesus is your holiness, And, and, and because Jesus is your holiness, having brought us out of, right, bondage, for Israel is out of Egypt, for us it's, well, Egypt was just a picture. He's brought us out of our bondage to death and sin. And because He is our Lord, our Savior, and our God, because He's rescued us, we're called to live holy lives. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus gets to be, He's the boss. He calls the shots. He's the authority. He provides for us daily. He promises to take us into an eternal land of joy and blessing in His presence. How could we not obey him and follow him, right? And so, and so holiness looks like living in the light of all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. As Paul will say in Colossians chapter three, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved, God names you, friends, as his children, holy and beloved, set apart, called to be saints and beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And over all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to just press that home just very briefly. What's your marriage look like? What's your marriage look like? Does this define it? Are you living in holiness? The way you talk to your spouse? The way you respond to your spouse? The way you think about your spouse? Isn't it true that if you and your spouse would confess your sin and, and accept this, the rule of God in your life and, and, and break for the power of God in your life at the cross and then, and then prayed this, Isn't it true that any marriage could be healed by that and restored by that? And isn't it true that if you refuse to do that, you're saying something about your relationship with God? This isn't happy talk. God is God. And God speaks to you, His people. And He speaks to me. And He says, be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. May God grant it. Amen. Father in heaven, you know our life. You know, Lord, all the ways we resist your rule. All the ways we ignore your grace and kindness to us. And we confess it as sin. And Lord, we we pray that you would make us holy people. If holiness looks like generosity and kindness and compassion and forgiveness, and justice, honesty, integrity. God, we, we, we want to be people marked by those traits. And Father, I, I pray that this morning you would convict hard hearts where people have taken up arms in, in their life against brothers or sisters, against a spouse, against a friend, maybe against parents. And we're living in our self-righteousness. We're living in our, the reality of our hurt. And we're not living in the reality of a, of a sovereign God who knows us and who will hold us accountable and who calls us to be like him. And so, Father, I, just, I pray that you would, you would break through our unbelief and our hardness, break through our flippancy, our casual response, to holy things, and to you, and make us holy people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. As we sing Holy Spirit, let's stand together and sing. God's holy